0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. I love the noise of the children leaving. They always have so much fun back there. One of these days I'm going to take a Sunday off and hang out back there with the kids. So, Well, if, uh, before we start, uh, I want to do a quick, a quick commercial announcement. Um, October 28th is a Saturday, and we're, uh, if you are a man in our church, we are, we're planning to have just a gathering of the men of the church uh, over breakfast together. And so if you are a, a person that puts calendar reminders in your phones or whatever, uh, we'll be kind of sharing some more information about that, but we wanted to, to get that on your, your radar now. October 28th, again, just a time to, to be face-to-face as men, share some food together and, uh, and then just kind of see what happens from there. So please put that down October 28th. Um, as you can see from the, the slide behind me, um, we have been talking about faith for the last month. We'll be talking about uh, uh, continuing in this theme today and then finishing it up next week. We've been talking about how faith uh, is grounded in reality. Nobody trusts in something that they haven't experienced in some degree um, themselves, and so our Christian faith is no different. Our Christian faith is grounded in uh, in the reality of a person named Jesus who lived, who breathed, who who communicated, who backed up what he communicated by action. And so, as we've been talking about faith, we have um we've we've identified that faith is both a noun and a verb. Faith is something we believe. It's 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 something within us. But then faith has an action that results in it. Nobody says they believe or trust in something without putting that belief and trust into yeah. action. And so we, we talked, we looked at the story of Jesus and who he was and, and how he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And then we've moved from that. Uh, last week we talked about that with our faith there is fruit. There's evidence of that. I, I shared a story about how when we first moved into to our house when we were living in eastern Washington. We had a fruit tree. We didn't know what it was until the summer hit. And then, for those of you that were here last week, you remember, I found out it was my favorite fruit. It was a peach tree. And even, even after I told that story last week, I was reminiscing about just juicy peaches. I can like taste them. And so I went through a bunch of our old pictures and I actually found photo evidence of this, this um, tree I'll show you. This is the first summer we were in this house, okay? I mean, we did nothing to this tree. It was, it just produced buckets of, pe- oh, man. I can taste them. So needless to say, we were pretty excited about that. Um, so the, the next year, right, year two, in our house, like peaches, and I remember the next year, there was not quite as many peaches on the tree. I was like, okay, I need to research. How do you take care of peach trees? Like, we, we, we need some more peaches. And so i like, okay, you got to prune it and you got to fertilize it. I'm like, all right, we'll do that because I want to I get back to this. The third year we were there, one. One peach. And I was like, uh-oh, something is wrong. Something's wrong with this tree. What do we do? That winter, Spokane has some winters. Some of you guys know this. The peach tree split in half and died, and I realized this thing was—it was towards the end of its life. And so I still look back at that first summer fondly. So I used this illustration last week to talk about uh, us as as people. If we were to look at our life and we were to to think of our life like a tree, our roots are what we believe. And then based on what we believe, values are connected to that. So some of you all believe, right, that the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl this year. And your, your values are, man, you bought the jersey, right? Like you're going to the games. You're invested every week. And you, 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 then you make decisions based off those values, right? Man, if the game's at... At 10 a.m. when church is happening, of course you choose church, right? But, but you're going to record the game so you can watch it later, right? So there's this, this is the way that life works. Like when, when people are displaying bad behavior, we can walk back down the tree and we can see, man, they made some bad decisions, didn't they, that led to that bad behavior. They, they valued some things or didn't value some things which led to those decisions. And deep down, there's some important beliefs about themselves and about the world around them. So this is what we know. We know that healthy roots produce healthy fruit. Something was wrong with my peach tree. It was deep down. So this morning, I want us to consider how our faith is integrated into the everyday things that we do. How does our following Jesus look? What fruit does it produced. So if you have a Bible, please open to Colossians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pew in front of you. You can probably pull one up on your phone. <clears throat> Colossians chapter three. We're gonna we're gonna read a lengthy passage here because it's important that we understand the context. We're gonna we're gonna camp primarily on verse seventeen, but I want you to know the, the, the flow of the thought here that is in Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians chapter 3 starts with the, the heart of our faith. The heart of the Christian faith is not do this, don't do this. Not you better get your act together. No, the heart of the Christian faith is God did this. Through Jesus, there is some good news. And so the good news, starting in verse 1, is this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, that's good news, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Here's some more good news. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is good news. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. So this is the good news. This is the heart of our faith. Jesus did something on our behalf. He changed our life. And because of that, our life is hidden with him. It is secure. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Okay, we got that, right? This is the heart. Then there's a reminder. There's a reminder. If this is true, if we believe this good news, if it is true we are with Christ, then we need to remember that. We need to think differently. Verse 5 continues. Put to death, therefore, in other words, based on what we just know about the good news, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, that old life, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, the old life. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and as is in all. So what, is, what are we seeing? We're saying the good news is what Jesus has done for us, that we're hidden in Christ. But hey, remember those old ways? Remember that old life? Don't even think about those things anymore. And I get it. There's still things in you that that reflect that old life. So see them, recognize them, get rid of them. And that's all of us. We're all in process. Another word for this, a theological word, is sanctification. We're being made more like Christ as we're hidden in him and less like our old self. And so there's a list here, right? And we can look at this list and go, yep. That was me, and some of that's still there. I need to get rid of it. Put off these things, and then verse 12 continues, put on these. So think of it like clothes. Get off the old clothes, put on the new one. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity verse 15 let the peace of christ rule in your hearts it says as since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, which is what we just finished doing. Amen? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, 17 verses in Colossians Beautiful picture. The message of Jesus. He's the origin of our faith. It's what we stand on today. There's some old stuff that we need to get rid of. But wow, there's some new things that when we put them on, they remind us more of who we are, what we were created for, who we're meant to be. In order for our life to be, our faith to be real, in order for it to be both a noun and a verb, our faith needs to be fully integrated into our life. Look again at verse 17, the end of this passage. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. What do you do? That's often a top question, right, when you first meet somebody. It's a question that we, we often know, okay, what's your name? That's probably the first one. <laughs> maybe where you're from, because most of, half the people in Seattle area aren't from Washington, right? And then what do you do? That's a question really of value, isn't it? When we ask somebody what they do, we have a hierarchy in our mind of, of what they're, of how valuable they are, what they contribute, what they earn, what they accomplish. Whether we admit it or not, there's this hierarchy in our culture, in our society, and so we often ask that question to try and get an idea of what kind of person are we talking to here? It's common that in our culture, we have these preconceived ideas of the worth of someone based on what they do. And oftentimes, even as we look at what we do, the day-to-day of our vocation, of our jobs, the, the, prior, the primary focus as we go about the things that we do is our self. I have me in mind when I'm looking for a job. I have me in mind when I get that paycheck. Okay, maybe my family too, right? If You have kids or wife in your household. But primarily, what we do is is tethered to our comfort, our security. This is pretty much true whatever you do. If you're a student in school, you're going through school thinking about what? Think about yourself. How do I get through this? How do I get the grades I need? What's next? with your occupation. How do I advance in this occupation? How do I make more money so that I can be more comfortable? We often think of ourselves. Now, of course, depending on what you do, others may be involved in this kind of process. People on your team, people in students, other students in your class, others in your home. But still at the center of what we do is often all about me, my comfort, my security my identity. So we've been talking about faith and we might ask the question, where then is my faith in all of this? What what part does my faith play? What happens when we place ourselves as the primary reason for why we do what we do is that we now have two lives. We have one life where, yeah, God God speaks to some things about this. And we have another life where it's all about me. And what happens then is we become disintegrated people. One where our faith is present and one where it's not. And this type of thinking is how you can get somebody who will come on a Sunday, worship Jesus, and be uh, horribly abusive at home. Because they've separated things. God lives in the building. But not in my home. This mentality is how you get someone who will give financially to the mission of the church and cheat their employer behind the scenes. Well, (laughs) my employer, my my, my job has nothing to do with my faith. I'll give to God faithfully. He doesn't really care where the money comes from. This is a rotten faith. This is a tree that seems to be bearing some sort of fruit, but is actually just a season away from death. And from being cut down and destroyed. True faith, real belief and trust in Jesus, doesn't look like this. It's never supposed to be separate from anything else we do. So, again, if your faith isn't fully integrated, your life will one day be disintegrated. Look back at verse 15, verse 15, 16, and 17, the end of this passage. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the message of Christ dwell. Let the peace of Christ rule. Where? In our hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among us. This idea of God is inhabiting his people. And based on this, whatever you do. When we ask the question, what do you do? The question is about vocation. Maybe we don't use that word as much. Vocation can include the job that you do, that you're paid to do, but vocation also includes the roles that you have in your life and what you feel may be called to be or to do as a person. So, for example, my vocation is a pastor, and I am blessed. This is my full-time job. I get to be the pastor at Sunset Community Church. But my vocation is not just as a pastor. I'm also a husband to my wife, Jessica. I'm also a father to my kids, Jude, Owen, Sophie, and Trey. So our vocation is not just the job, but it is also the other roles that we play out in our life. A couple of other examples. Chad, up in the back there. Chad is a business owner. That's part of his vocation. But Chad is also the captain of the Sunset Community Church presentation. If it weren't for him, these words would not be on the screen. That's part of Chad's vocation. He's not getting paid for that yet. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Don't don't get your hopes up. Um, But it's part of his vocation. Chad has been doing that faithfully since before I became the pastor here. He's passionate about that. He puts time into that. He's committed to that. That is part of his vocation. My son Jude, he's a student right now. He's in high school. He's a junior in high school. That's his vocation right now. He's also a kids ministry volunteer. He serves in our kids ministry. That's part of his vocation. He's also, he'll probably get mad at me for saying this, but he's a music producer. He just uploaded his first song last week to Spotify. (laughs) So that's part of his vocation, right? It's both passion and calling and work jobs change but oftentimes different aspects of our vocation never will another word that we can use is calling sometimes this word calling is over spiritualized what lord what is my calling but we all have different types of callings and sometimes those callings change in in different seasons single or married can be a calling something you feel god has purposely wired you for being a friend Having a passion for art or music can be a type of vocation or calling. So in other words, our vocation is, just, is not just what we're called to do, but our vocation is also who we're called to be. Pay attention to that. It's different, isn't it? Not just what we're called to do, but who we're called to be. There's this quote from a, a church father that just a couple hundred years after Christ. He said this. He said, love God and do what you want. What do you think? Does that work? Love God and do what you want. When my kids were young, they had to ask me for permission for everything. Everything. Part of it was a trust on our, our side of things. We're not just going to be like, yeah, go ahead and make you know, cook up some eggs on the stovetop, three-year-old. Um, But also what they didn't know. They didn't know what to do, how to do it. And so they, as they learned, as they grew, as we built relationship and trust, as they figured out how the world works and how things work within our family, they have had to ask me to do less and less. They've learned what is good and what is not good. In fact, oftentimes now they come to me with questions And my response is, you know what to do. You know what's right. You've been taught this. And that's the heart, I think, of what Augustine is trying to say here, is love God and do what you do. This is actually just a a small quote from a, a, a teaching that he gave on 1 John. But this idea is, as we follow Jesus more and more, then our hearts naturally want to do what is right and good nowhere in the bible do you see a comprehensive comprehensive list of do's and don'ts man you think the bible's long now imagine if that were true right the bible is not that but the bible does give these principles that reflect the heart of god and the ways of jesus These principles that guide us into knowing what pleases God, knowing what is in line with this faith relationship we have and what is not. And so as we think about our life and our unique vocation, we read those words. Again, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We can read these in light of Our relationship with Jesus, our trust in Him. Now, these aren't very specific, are they? Wouldn't it be nice if He's like, and whatever you do, when you're at work and you have a terrible boss, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I would love that, but this is this is intentionally encompasses everything. These are family roots. This is a command that grounds us in our identity. And helps to shape other questions and the many decisions that we might encounter in our vocation. So with this in mind, we can ask, okay, is my work reflecting the love and integrity of Jesus? In my serving coffee, creating spreadsheets, caring for people in their homes, is it reflecting the love and integrity of Jesus? one of the worst jobs I ever had was when I was just out of high school. I worked for an insurance company, and they specialized if somebody's house had water damage, fire damage, sewer damage, anything that would require calling the insurance company, our company would go in and do that work. And as a teenager, I got the very best jobs. No, I didn't. Hey, hey, Andrew, guess what? The Smiths Sewer overflowed and backed up raw sewage into their bathroom. We'll see you at 6 p.m. tonight. Go get it. Go get it taken care of. One of the worst jobs I ever had was a a skunk had gotten under somebody's house and decided to just go crazy and spray. And there was uh, uh, insulation underneath the house that had absorbed the skunk odor. Hey, Andrew, (laughs) guess what you're doing today? we want you to pull out all that skunky insulation and put in new insulation. And I went to that house and I remember the opening the crawl space in the house and there was just enough room for me to slide on my back. (laughs) I literally could not roll over. And for the next day and a half, I was pulling skunky insulation out, pushing it out the hole. Is my work reflecting the love and integrity of Jesus? Are you kidding me? How is that possible? Man. What what a need this family had, right? Talk about the lowest of lows. But I had an opportunity to do work. Now, I was pretty young then. I can't tell you that I did it without griping and complaining. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but when we look at this passage, whatever we do, Is my work reflecting the love and integrity of Jesus? Can I do this, whatever it would be, and not compromise my confession that Jesus is Lord in my work? Are my actions going to damage the reputation of Jesus or glorify it? Whatever you do. Questions like these help to integrate our faith. They help to strengthen our roots. And they allow us to make it easier to know if our words and deeds are being done in the name of the Lord Jesus or not. So this is the cause of the believers, not to separate what is Christian and what is not. What is for God and what is for me. All of it is meant to be fully integrated. How does our faith and our vocation, how are they integrated together? Now some of you know that I like to cook. Specifically, I like to cook outdoors with some sort of flame. I prefer that it, what I cook with the flame is meat-based, not plant-based. But I occasionally grill vegetables for my wife because I love her. And they're pretty good, actually. So so I love to, I love to cook. Um, several years ago, my, wi- my family and I were camping. And we came back uh, just after a couple of nights camping trip, and on my back patio was a brand new Traeger with a bow on top. I was blown away. I still to this day don't know who gave me that Traeger, so if it's you, make <laughs> an eye contact here. That's a very specific guess. so you have to know me to know that I love that, but I'm going to tell you this. When I grill, when I cook, and I'm right now I actually have a a, a pork shoulder smoking for the football games later today Um, when I do it I am I'm not being overly spiritual here I do it to the glory of God like when I stand out there and the 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 meat is cooking and I'm looking at the blue sky which we had yesterday I am literally going thank you Jesus for this moment thank you thank you for providing a Traeger and the sacrifice of this animal and (laughs) thank you You know, we can do that, right? Like the things that we're passionate about, we can do those to the glory of Jesus, whether in word or deed. So let me ask this question. Are there parts of your vocation that your faith is not allowed to touch? Is your life divided between activities that are Christian and activities that are just kind of neutral? I mean, many of us, pray before a meal, or we pray before our kids go to bed. Do we pray before we go to work? Do we view our our employment as holy before the Lord, as something he's given us, as an opportunity to continue to live out our faith? Now, I'm not saying you have to pray for every little thing. This isn't about painting everything with some kind of weird Sunday school Bible brush. Or, or creating a new list of Christian behavior. Hey, you better do this before you do that. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But what if there is something bigger going on than just the tasks that you have to do in your vocation? What if something of Jesus can be shown through you and what you're involved in? What would it look like if our vocation was so integrated into our faith that what we're called to do And who we're called to be is like one big signpost that just says, Jesus this way. The Amazing grace of Jesus. So why would we want to do this? Why would we want to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Doesn't it make more sense actually to kind of separate our lives into things that are Christian and things that aren't? No. In fact, the Bible doesn't know of a faith that is disconnected in that way. Faith, as we read last week, without action is dead. Real faith is integrated into the everyday things of our life. How do we keep this the main thing? How do we keep our perspective rooted? So much of it has to do with where do we see our place in our relationship with Christ? Do we view him as are, are we truly believing that we are his son and his daughter, that we're reflecting and representing him wherever we go? Faith without action is dead. <clears> the <throat> other thing I want you to, to remember is your job, your job is bigger than the task at hand. Your job is bigger than the task at hand. Every, all of us have tasks we have to do, right? Got to feed the kids, got to get up early and mow the lawn this morning. I have to to fill out the spreadsheets at work. I have to interact with these customers. We all have tasks that we have to do, but bigger than the task is actually some kind of bigger job that God has called us to be about. Our faith elevates our perspective to see our work as a redemptive partnership with God, that what Jesus has has made possible for us, he wants to make possible for all people, and he's choosing to use us. I love talking with Mike Smith, who is a driver in S- Seattle. He always tells me stories of people that he has interactions with on the streets. And a lot of them are tough stories. A lot of them are tough people to be kind to and to love to, but Mike always the way he tells me it, he's always being challenged in his faith because he's leading with that. His perspective of people is rooted in his identity as a son and his relationship with Christ. So he views his work as a mission field. He's praying for the city. He's praying for people. When people interact rudely with him, he knows he has an opportunity to respond the same way or to respond how Christ would respond. Mike, you're a beautiful example of that. I appreciate you, brother. All of us have that example, that opportunity. Our job is bigger than the task. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, manager of a business, a caregiver, a project manager, do it all in the name of Jesus. Lastly, I just want to leave you with this. Jesus has invited us into a relationship with him, and we have an assignment that no one else can fulfill. I'm not driving in the city of Seattle. Mike is. God's given him that assignment. I'm not you. You're not me. But yet God has right where you're at, in ret- whether it's retirement or you're a student in high school or whatever it would be, he's given you an assignment that no one else can fulfill. You have the ability to say, Jesus, this way. And so we're reminded today from Colossians 3. Of who Jesus is. That we're to put off the old ways, to put on the new ways, and then to say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the vocation you've called me into. That I'm married to my beautiful wife, Jessica. That I'm a husband to my kids. That I get to grill this afternoon. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Everybody's invited. Just kidding. Didn't make that much. <laughs> But do you understand what we're talking about here? This is a church, if we get this, we become a church that is attractive, that displays the life and love of Jesus. It's not built on rhetoric or hypocrisy. Not built on policy or shouting on social media. It's built on a faith that is deeply rooted in who Jesus is. Again, Colossians, reminds us of that.